earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you in your car? At home? Somewhere else with your mobile device? Catching the podcast? Friends, throughout this series, Touching Others with Our Faith, my hope has been and continues to be that we are gaining insight into discovering natural and creative ways to reach out to people around us, reflecting Jesus in our daily lives. And if you've missed any installments, don't worry. You can catch up or review them through the podcasts at faithtalk1360.com. Well, friends, today in part six, we'll hear about letting God's grace flow through us. I'd like to begin by first sharing a true incident that occurred one night on April 25th, 1958, when a young Korean exchange student, a leader in Christian student affairs at the University of Pennsylvania, left his apartment to walk to the corner mailbox to send a letter to his parents back in Busan, South Korea. On his way back, he was confronted by eleven leather-jacketed teen boys. Without a word, they attacked him, beat him with a blackjack and a lead pipe, and kicked and punched him violently. Sadly, later that night, the police discovered his dead body in a nearby gutter. Well, all Philadelphia cried out for vengeance. The district attorney obtained legal authority to try these teens as adults so that those found guilty could get the death penalty. But in the midst of this tragedy, a letter arrived from Korea that made everyone stop and think. The letter was signed by the murdered student's parents and by 20 other relatives. In part, the letter said, our family has met together and we have decided to petition that the most generous treatment possible within the laws of your government be given to those who have committed this crime. In order to give evidence of our sincere hope embodied in this petition, we have decided to save money to start a fund to be used for the religious, educational, vocational and social guidance of these boys when they're released. We have dared to express our hope with a spirit received from the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Wow! Friends, this is a family that sure had an eternal perspective on life, so much so that they were willing and ready to invest resources in the hope that 11 eternal souls might be touched by their faith and ultimately touched by the gospel. And despite this heinous act against their son, they chose to be loving channels and dispense grace. You see, friends, grace is really love in action. And by the way, did you notice that grace didn't extinguish or nullify justice? 
The family in Korea expected justice, but they requested that justice be tempered by generosity. That's because, friends, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Each week we've rehearsed this four-pronged statement. My hope is that we're gaining deeper insights as we unpack some of its individual words and phrases, drawing out the incredible spiritual truths represented by them. In the first three installments, we noted how Jesus, Philip the Evangelist, and the Good Samaritan allowed themselves to be loving channels so that divine resources met human needs. Remember now, with Jesus, it was his intentional contact with the Samaritan woman at the well. Recall I said it was not a geographical necessity to go to Samaria, but a spiritual necessity. On the other hand, Philip was interrupted by the Holy Spirit and dispatched to meet an Ethiopian eunuch who was journeying in his chariot. And in the Good Samaritan's case, his experience was coincidental, or should I say God-incidental. In other words, in the normal course of his travels, he came face to face with a person in need. Now, friends, doesn't this parallel how the Lord often works in our lives today? I can testify, and I'm pretty positive that any one of you listening testifying that there's been times when intentionally we made contact with someone for the express purpose of bringing them an encouraging word or plant a seed for the gospel. And haven't there also been times when the Holy Spirit interrupted our usual routines because he wanted us to speak or act kindly or for the benefit of another person? And friends, haven't we also noticed that sometimes in the midst of our planned out daily activities, a coincidental event happens to bring us face to face with a person or situation where there's an opportunity to meet a need? Isn't it amazing how God engineers circumstances and orchestrates a time sequence for events? A few weeks ago, I quoted Johnny Erickson Tata, God arranges for natural events to occur at specific times to further his ends. Then in the last two installments, we zeroed in on a few key words. In part four, we took an in-depth look at the word love in the phrase through loving channels. We unpacked the New Testament meaning and behavior of agape love. I pointed out that agape love is the driving force behind everything we do, and specifically that there'd be no genuine anticipation of God using us because God's desire is to love people through us. And last time in part five, we focused on the word divine and how we must remember that it's divine resources that meet human needs. We took a closer look at Jesus's miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. But I mentioned that this event is recorded in all four gospels, so it's beneficial to check out all four accounts. John's account 
furnished us with added insight when he recorded a conversation where Philip complains to Jesus about how much wages it would take to buy bread to feed the crowd. Then Andrew remarked, How far will five small barley loaves and two small fish go among so many? Friends, Philip and Andrew not only represented the disciples' mindset, but it also represents ours. We need to be reminded that we are not manufacturers, but distributors of God's resources. So it's not human resources that meet human needs. It's divine resources that meet human needs. Today in part six of our series, which I've titled Letting God's Grace Flow Through Us, I want to be absolutely certain we understand as Christ followers just what it is we're bringing to people when we function as loving channels so that divine resources meet human needs. Today I'm going to focus on that phrase, meets human needs. Because, friends, we can operate under the faulty idea that we are just bringing material resources to people's aid, that we are simply supplying money, food, goods, or whatever the emergency situation requires. But I'd be remiss if in this series I allowed us to go on thinking this, and we'd be doing ourselves as Christ followers a great disservice as well as doing the scriptures a great disservice. Because, you see, as Christ followers, we are not just humanitarians. Now, don't get me wrong. Christ followers should be marked by humanitarian efforts. But ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Did you hear what I said, friends? Ministry takes place. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. You see, the primo question to ask is this. Do we see ourselves as ministers ministering to the people that God brings our way? Every morning when we wake up and see our face in the mirror, do we see ourselves as ministers? And every time we set foot outside our door, do we as ministers see ourselves as potential loving channels so divine resources might meet a human need to the glory of God? Are we excited about and do we anticipate the possibility that God may orchestrate or engineer circumstances where we might touch someone with our faith? I can see why we wouldn't picture ourselves that way if we only thought our role as Christ followers was to merely distribute goods to others in need. That mentality, friends, that way of thinking is actually a deception of Satan. Because we are not just distributors of goods, we are distributors of grace. Jesus brought grace to the despised Samaritan woman at the well. Philip brought grace to the Ethiopian eunuch sitting on his chariot. And the good Samaritan brought grace to the man on the side of the road, beaten and left for dead. And when we love others with God's love, we bring grace to them. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says, But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special grace on me, and not without results, for I have worked harder than all the other apostles, and yet it was not I but God who was working through me by his grace. Another meaning here can be kindness for grace. This word grace or favor has generally meant kindness, graciousness, favor, and even benefit. It carries the idea that these actions are done joyfully, since the root for this word means joy. In secular classical Greek usage, it carried the additional meanings of charm and attractiveness. And so the New Testament writers, and especially Paul, infused this word with its peculiar Christian meaning and usage. Again, an example of the New Testament writers reaching into their cultural toolbox and pulling out a word or concept, elevating it and infusing it with a more loftier meaning under the Spirit's inspiration. In my opinion, friends, many Christians have a very narrow or restricted view of the grace of God, usually and almost exclusively associated with salvation. When asked to define grace, many Christians regurgitate a pat answer like, Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, or grace is unmerited favor towards sinners. Some variations on the unmerited idea are, from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, we have grace is the undeserved blessing freely bestowed on humanity by God. And from the Beacon Dictionary of Theology, we have grace is God's spontaneous though unmerited love for sinful humanity, supremely revealed in the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, those somewhat technical definitions don't really help us anymore, do they? We often cavalierly say unmerited, but what does unmerited really mean? Friends, we generally and almost exclusively connect this word and concept to our New Testament. But listen to a reference to grace or unmerited favor from Exodus 33.13, part of a conversation between Moses and God. And here the Hebrew word for grace carries undeserved or unearned favor. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. In addition to Exodus, two important prophetic books emphasize the truth that God is the one who, by his grace, enables his people to respond to him, and he in turn then blesses their faithfulness. Ezekiel chapter 36 and Isaiah chapters 49 through 51 and 54 show this. A few of Ezekiel's words are key. At least twice his prophecy contains the word but. I'd like to highlight one of them. Chapter 36 verses 8 and 9. But you, mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people, Israel. For behold, I am for you. Does that ring a bell? Perhaps Ezekiel's words here were the inspiration for the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 8.31. 
Then Ezekiel continues, I am for you and will look on you with favor. You see, the key to understanding the essence of grace is that although we deserved God's being against us, he is actually for us. Sometimes our perception of grace can be very static, sterile in fact, but God's grace is very dynamic. I said earlier that grace is God's love in action. I believe, friends, that for us, extending God's love to others as loving channels is actually bringing or distributing his grace. This is what sets Christianity apart from humanitarian efforts. You see, both Christian ministry and humanitarian efforts can be done in love, and both Christian ministry and humanitarian efforts can meet human needs by distributing food, clothing, etc. But only, and listen carefully, friends, only Christian ministry can bring grace. And bringing grace is not limited to non-Christians. We ought to bring grace to our brothers and sisters as well. Ephesians 4.29 not only prohibits unkind speaking, but also must be understood as distributing grace. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, we read, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, that's non-Christians, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. In John 1, 14, we read, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, notice that was spoken of Jesus. His disciples beheld his glory and saw he was full of grace and truth. He had the perfect balance of grace and truth. Wouldn't you like that said about you? What if that was your reputation? He's full of grace and truth, or she's full of grace and truth. Then in verse 17 we read, Grace and truth came through, or were realized through, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is not implying that God had never extended grace before in the Old Testament, as we saw he did. The word here realized in verse 17 implies that grace and truth were brought closer to our senses. Grace and truth came into being or were published or broadcast through Jesus Christ. Grace and scripture at a minimum may be seen to have two primary prongs. First, saving grace. And second, living grace. In other words, the grace to live daily the way the Lord wants us to. I believe all other biblical or theological understandings of grace can be placed under one of these. Friends, just listen to some ways grace is described in Acts and a few epistles. I believe these references confirm Peter's description of the manifold grace of God in 1 Peter 4.10. And Paul's phrase, the riches of his grace, in Ephesians 2, 7. 
Acts 4.33, abundant grace was upon them, the apostles, for witnessing. 2 Corinthians 9.14, and the surpassing grace of God in you, the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12.9, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, sufficient for Paul's sufferings. Hebrews 4.16, where God's throne is referred to as the throne of grace, where we may come to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, growth in our salvation experience should include growing in the grace of God. James 4, 6, but he, God, gives a greater grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor or grace to the humble. Quoting Proverbs three thirty four. The idea here being that we need living grace for living humbly in the world. So you see, friends, the bottom line is we can respond to human needs in several ways. And this then becomes our challenge. Each way we respond determines whether we're loving channels intent on distributing grace to others. First, we can be blind to others' needs and live our own lives. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 address that way of thinking. Second, we can know about others, but still do nothing. The Good Samaritan story in Luke 10 addresses that way of thinking. Third, we can take advantage of others' needs to benefit ourselves. In other words, we can use people, exploit others' needs to gain recognition, position, title, honors, Jesus' words against the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 23 and Luke 20 address that way of thinking. Someone once said, People were created to be loved. Things were created to be used. The reason the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. And fourth, we can seek to meet others' needs. Jesus' words in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, address this way of thinking. So remember, friends, Christian ministry differs from humanitarian efforts in that Christian ministry brings grace. The late Christian theologian Louis B. Smeads has an interesting and colorful take on grace. He says, Grace is not a ticket to Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island is a dreamy fiction. Grace is not a potion to charm life to our liking. Charms are magic. Grace does not cure all our cancers, transform all our kids into winners, or send us all soaring into the high skies of success. Grace is rather an amazing power to look earthly reality full in the face, see its sad and tragic edges, feel its cruel cuts, join in the primeval chorus, against its outrageous unfairness, and yet feel in your deepest being that it is good and right for you to be alive on God's good earth. Grace is power, I say, to see life very clearly, admit it is sometimes all wrong, and still know that somehow in the center of your life it's all right. This is one reason we call it amazing grace. Grace is the one word for us all, that God is for us in the form of Jesus Christ.
Louis Cassell's former senior editor and religious columnist for the United Press International said, If God wants you to do something, he'll make it possible for you to do it. But the grace he provides comes only with the task and cannot be stockpiled beforehand. We are dependent on him from hour to hour, and the greater awareness of this fact, the less likely we are to faint or fail in a crisis. Finally, John R. W. Stott said, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. I shared a powerful statement in a former installment, but it bears repeating. When Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, we forfeit forever the right to choose whom we will love. And all ahead, and to whom we will dispense grace. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we are nearing the end of today's program. I hope that this series is helping us to look with Jesus' eyes, listen to the Spirit's voice, live out the Savior's call, love others with God's love, leave the solution to Christ, and let God's grace flow through us. Let's pray for those around us who are without Jesus so that they see Jesus in us. And let's ask the Holy Spirit for ways to naturally and creatively touch others with our faith. Remember our engineer's prayer. Have you mustered up the courage to pray it yet and see what God does? Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me and share how God's working through you to touch others with your faith. Please also consider joining the support team. Ask me for the details. Thanks to you who help keep this program on the air. Remember that the podcasts are available at faithtalk1360.com. Thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, Email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.